0: From the Technology Association of Iowa, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Waller, with my co-host, Molly Ross. This podcast will provide an exclusive look into technology-focused legislation during the 2021 session at the Iowa Statehouse.
1: We will speak with state lawmakers and Iowa technology companies from various industries on specific tech legislation, what it means for Iowans, and how it may impact tech companies across the state.
0: The Iowa Tech Policy Podcast is proudly presented by Shazam, a member-owned debit network, processor, and core provider that believes community-based financial institutions strengthen and improve local communities. Learn more at Shazam.net. Additional support provided by Davis Brown Law Firm and Google. I'm here with Senator Zach Nunn, who represents District 15 in the Iowa Senate. Senator Nunn, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast.
2: Guys, thanks for having me. This is very exciting.
0: Uh, Very exciting to have you. Now, you're currently commander of the 233 Intelligence Squadron in the Iowa Air National Guard. Where are you joining us from today?
2: Yeah, well, thank you so much. So I just came back from U.S. Central Command. I flew in today and now I am at the Air War College, which is at Maxwell Air Force Base, actually working on a prototype product for countering uh, foreign nation disinformation. Uh, so whether you're uh, an industry or a, an influencer or the U.S. military, we're all concerned about how the adversaries uh, out there can shape the narrative in cyberspace.
0: Well, we're always thrilled to see a state senator with such command of a topic like cybersecurity and highly technical. Uh, So what can you tell us about your experience that it relates to cybersecurity?
2: Yeah, so as a quick background, I was an intelligence officer in the IC, so worked for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, doing counterintelligence for cyber, and then worked in the last, the previous administration, the Obama administration, as the director for cybersecurity. Uh, since coming back to Iowa, we've really tried to make a priority of what we can do at, at a state and local level for making cybersecurity a better run policy. And what we have always said is the technology is going to go really fast in this space. We need to make sure the policy is keeping up. Um, and so that's been a great opportunity to work with municipals, as well as with our private partners in the, in the state of Iowa.
0: So uh, you mentioned it, but municipalities here in Iowa, uh, they have increasingly become targets of cyber criminals. Uh, What can the state government do to help, especially smaller Iowa municipalities who have limited resources?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the key aspects of this is that we have the ability of the state to work through Department of Public Safety to get response options out there. Um, One of the things I always tell my local leaders is have, like in the military, Have a pre-plan on what you need to do, kind of your checklist or break glass in the case of a fire on what should be happening so that you are as buttoned up as possible for when, not if a cyber attack occurs. Common sense these days. The other side is what happens when a cyber attack does um, impact your uh, community, whether it's something that's specific to the municipality or something the municipality runs upon. So maybe uh, the utilities background. Who should you call? How do you notify it? And most importantly, how do you get services back to your residents who have an expectation that they're going to be um, protected? And the state has done a great job with DPS and also the new office that we've created, the Officer for Chief Information. Um, Ms. Dunn there is looking at specific ways that we can provide kind of a rollout plan for smaller communities that don't have that level of coverage. And I'll just offer real quick, we've got a couple of bills at the state house. The one I ran most recently was on ransomware and how that can just cripple a small city, a school district, or a state. Two years ago, we were at $8 billion in ransomware um, fines. In 2020, we were at $20 billion. So, I mean, to put that in perspective, that's basically three times the state of Iowa's budget going to cyber criminals who are getting most of that money from small communities like ours.
0: So the folks that are listening, they hear ransomware of a municipality. Is that is that is that a... Uh... Uh, a a foreign actor that's doing that? Is that a is that a nation or a state that's doing that? Who's perpetrating these systems?
2: Yeah. So a lot of times it is going to be a nation state actor who's going to use a phishing scheme or a secondary level of individuals who are basically being bankrolled by a nation state. So think of Iran doing a lot of this. They will pay a third party. Uh, They will give them the toolkit to go in there and do a phishing scheme or basically poach a local official, or even a a citizen who's going on to a a banking scheme. And then it locks out that access account. And the only way for a city potentially to get that back is to pay. And they usually make it within the pain point that, all right, I'd rather pay $5,000 than pay for a security firm to come in and mitigate this, knowing that I may actually lose the data or the access. And so they become very effective at that. That's not to say there's not a huge uh, criminal element out there who's also maximizing this. The biggest challenge is uh, when you pay $20 billion out, you have no idea where that money is going. Oftentimes it ends up in human trafficking, foreign arms trafficking, um, nation state destabilization. I mean, these aren't good American criminals who are going out on a Friday night and spending the money in your local community. These are folks overseas who are really fleecing. Um, ultimately Iowa taxpayers who are seeing their cities have to pay out a ransomware fee that, um, makes their taxes go up. And that's
0: not good for anyone. So what about private companies? What can the government do to help their cybersecurity efforts proactively? So I think we should never forget
2: that the vast majority of the Internet of Things is already in the private sector. And the government is usually a user of this and can help shape the, the information environment. One of the things I led when I was at the White House was this botnet campaign. People just getting overwhelmed by botnets that were taken down, Bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo, um, some of the big financial centers in New York. What we learned immediately is that individually, a lot of these companies could do a very good job mitigating it and finding out about it. Uh, What they weren't so good is sharing across companies. And so there's a role there for government to be kind of a clearinghouse, a trusted broker, if you will, to provide a level of security. And one of the uh, outgrowth of this has been something like a, an ISAC. And so now we have a multi-state ISAC where when there's an event, private companies can put in the information of how they were attacked, um, what happened to them, how they mitigated it in an anonymized way that protects the brand reputation of the company, but gets that warning out to help inoculate everybody very quickly, whether that's government or private sector.
0: In your experience, what makes effective cyber policy?
2: Yeah, so I think we have to uh, identify people who are both smart in the area, and that's on the public side, the academic side, and certainly the private sector side, because that's who, again, are going to be leaders in this area, and they need to be able to bring in their uh, recommendations for policy. The second aspect is we need to have a policy that is uh, proactive versus uh, stagnant and reactive. So when we put things into statute, Oftentimes folks at the state house can be very detailed on what they want to see happen. The reality is we just want to provide some safety rails uh, so that agencies out there can do well. And that helps not only our school districts, our cities and our counties, but it provides everybody a framework to look up to to say, all right, I see how this is happening. When I was in the Obama administration uh, as a nonpartisan, one of the biggest challenges was Congress talked a lot about this, but nobody had the background to really drive it at that time. And we didn't get a single piece of legislation through, uh, and that becomes difficult. So I I really compliment the state of Iowa in setting up this office of the chief information officer to help be a clearinghouse and make smart policy recommendations.
0: So in the spirit of this podcast, where we talk to an Iowa state legislator and a technology professional, can you give advice to TAI member companies uh, and how they can help state legislators craft thoughtful cyber policy?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to make an ask to the TAI membership. You guys have a lot of really smart, innovative concepts out there. Um, the state of Iowa can be a junior partner in a lot of the initiatives you have going forward. I would ask, uh, one, talk to your talk to your members and have them contact us. I've talked to a number of TAI members who are doing everything from smart grids in cities to looking for waivers from the FCC to do white space Um internet and broadband distribution to, I just came from a group in Boston that was uh, working with the University of Iowa and Story County, or excuse me, Iowa State, to have autonomous drones and delivery vehicles for Amazon, which is in my district, to do smart delivery. We have a great um, space here in Iowa. It's open, it's low hill. the geography works for us. We can experiment with a lot of very innovative technologies right here in our home state. And I don't think that we have to do a huge tax credit change. We just need to be able to incentivize that doing operations in a state like Iowa is much cheaper than anywhere in certainly Silicon Valley. But I'd offer arguably anywhere else in the country. And the best way we as the state then can support TI is making sure that your industries, my main street businesses, our school districts have access to high quality broadband that gets us to the next 5G level. And I was proud to see that Iowa is one of the uh, few leading states that got broadband uh, at the 5G level working with AT&T.
0: Well, we appreciate the ask of our members, and I think they stand ready to help and create thoughtful policy with you, as you saw last session as well. So, well, uh, you're a busy guy, so we'll let you get out of here. But I have one last question for you. I appreciate you talking about cybersecurity with us today, but is there anything else you'd like to share with Iowa's technology community about your goals for session this year?
2: Yeah, so I think broadband is going to be our number one goal. Uh, We continue to roll that out in a very positive way. I think that there is a smart partnership between what we have in the state of Iowa, that at the time was pretty um, innovative, the uh, ICN, and what we are doing with a number of our smaller telcos to be able to deliver last-mile Internet at a high-fidelity rate, particularly in the time of COVID, to folks and communities who needed to remain functioning. It's impossible for us to ask a school district Uh, to give out uh, remote learning uh, opportunities if nobody can get on. And luckily, our school districts are very well connected because of the ICN. The challenge is there's a number of students and families who might live just across the street, including right here in my district in Polk County, who can't even get on without satellite uh, overhead broadband. And the other place I would say is that we've got to continue to be innovative. Uh, Iowa State invented the computer. Um, We have the brain bits and the manpower to do really clever, innovative things here. My concern is that our adversaries, uh, particularly overseas states like China, are now doing things very cheaply, and they're doing it in mass. So you think of Beto satellites, you think of chip manufacturing. We can't lose a competitive edge there, and that's going to be driven by our private sector side with support and safeguards uh, from places like the state of Iowa. So I'm excited about it. I think that this session, we've got some really good bills up there. The biggest thing is, uh, if you have ideas, we are still in the open season, throw them at people like Brian Losey, the chairman in the house, throw them to myself, and we will uh, continue to work bills to get drafted. So thank you guys for what TAI does to keep us informed and
0: move Iowa forward. Senator Nunn, thank you for your service to our nation, our state, and thank you for joining us today on the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast.
2: Brian, I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the TAI does, and I look forward to speaking with you again
0: soon. Next on the podcast, Molly Ross sits down with Stephen Thomasy, Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Shazam. But first, a brief message from Davis Brown Law Firm.
1: Hi, I'm Joellen Whitney. I'm an employment attorney at the Davis Brown Law Firm, soon to be Denton's Davis Brown. I work with companies of all sizes on everything from employment handbooks and discrimination all the way to cybersecurity. I help companies navigate the intersection of cybersecurity architecture and compliance while interpreting regulations for business leaders and technology teams so you can stay ahead of the problems that you might face. For more information, visit davisbrownlaw.com TAI. Whether it's HIPAA or the GDPR, I save some of my favorite cybersecurity resources there. Now we have joining us Stephen Thomasy, Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Shazam. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen.
3: Thank you, Molly. Glad to be here.
1: Can you start off by telling us a bit about Shazam and your role as CTO?
3: Absolutely. So uh, Shazam is a 45-year-old Iowa organization who really um, started foundationally in the electronic payments sector. And so we've grown up with that over a lot of uh, a number of decades and are now a national organization. we probably about 500 employees. Uh, we're not what a widely publicly known name, if you will. So we have some things from a brand perspective that folks will recognize, but primarily we provide services to financial institutions. And so we're kind of the engines that they use for the products that ultimately make their way to consumers. And so uh, my role in the organization as CTO is oversight of the technology and the operational functions for the organization um, and then interacting closely with things like cybersecurity, with the security and risk functions as we pull together all these perspectives.
1: So you mentioned cybersecurity. We hear a lot about cybercrime these days. What can you tell us about the risk to financial institutions in particular?
3: Um, Yeah, I think the risk to financial institutions is currently and always will be there and likely to be a fairly high risk. So, you know, as we talk about cybersecurity, and I think Senator Nunn talked about some of the different perpetrators of these crimes uh, financial motivation is still one of the predominant factors. And so with the role that financial institutions play um, in our economy and even society, they're basically housing those funds. And so they're always going to be a target uh, that folks are going to keep an eye on and try and figure out ways to, um, to attack them, for typically for financial gain. Uh, but even when you talk about state-run organizations and you talk about the financial ecosystem, there could also be avenues in there where financial institutions are attractive targets.
1: We spoke with Senator Nunn earlier, who talked about the formation of the OCIO office and their role in advising municipalities as it relates to cybersecurity. How does Shazam advise community banks and other financial institutions?
3: Shazam is very. Uh, aware of our role and the services we provide for financial institutions. So part of what we strive to do is to to really build a trusted partnership. So we're very aware that financial institutions in general, they're focused on delivering value to consumers, they're focused on being financial institutions. So this thing called cyber comes along. um, And it's kind of a foreign concept to a lot of these institutions. And so we work really hard from an education perspective, just to offer them perspective, see what we can do to keep them educated and aware. Um, And then we work with state associations uh, to help them um, get this message out uh, and work with industry experts as well to make certain that we're doing what we can to contribute to our industry and creating as safe an environment as possible for commerce. Uh, One of the things that we also do is work to provide services that financial institutions can use. They can use this to address regulatory regulatory, um, needs, or they can use these services just to get an assessment of how prepared they are uh, both for trying to prevent these types of attacks and also if attack were to occur, which it's likely going to occur against all of us over time how that they are situated in terms of being able to respond to that, um, you know, and just keep their organization moving forward and finding the most mindful way to deal with it.
1: So Shazam is a national company. Can you talk about the role state and federal legislation play in your efforts to mitigate risk at Shazam and for your partners?
3: Yeah, Shazam, as stated earlier, Shazam's been in uh, the electronic payments industry for decades now. Well, part of that industry early on uh, was the need to get some both industry regulation and uh, legislative things from states and such. And so it grew up in a very fractured environment as this was all coming together and then kind of came together. And so a byproduct of that has always been that there's this idea that there are security requirements um, and other requirements that have been layered on over the years. But there was an umbrella by which this information could be communicated, and the participants in the ecosystem uh, understood the um, the way that everyone needed to meet certain hurdle rates, if you will, uh, for the industry to work correctly. So. I think in terms of that, when we look at how state and federal legislation comes into play, uh, we see the value of some of those things because there are a lot of industries that haven't had that same level of uh, requirement and that same gradual um, tuning into these types of threats and being able to respond to them. And so for those industries, having a coordinated response and just having some coordinated guidance. And I think that Senator Nunn, Uh, stated it pretty well with this idea of a clearinghouse for information uh, and some policies that aren't so detailed um, that they slow down progress, but really help folks understand what the challenge is and how they can work together to get there. I think the flip side of that is that now that we do have this awareness, we see some states that are moving really quickly uh, to bring down some more finite legislation and requirements. And so as a national organization, this can actually start to create some hurdles because you have so many differing requirements in so many spaces that you start to, um, you start to have kind of a regulatory burden, if you will. They're all for goodness. They're all seeking to achieve value. but trying to navigate all those uh, different um, state legislation pieces individually starts to create overhead and has the risk of stifling innovation. So uh, we're a big fan of having kind of a unified perspective on this because we think it benefits uh, the industry as a whole and it benefits all of the country as a whole. We're all in this together. Uh, There's only one set of bad guys and we're all working together to uh, try and protect ourselves from them.
1: So we don't think those bad guys are going anywhere anytime soon. There's clearly a lot of work to be done to prevent cybercrime. How is Shazam helping to, to develop future cybersecurity professionals?
3: Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Uh, cybersecurity professionals are in significant demand across the nation now, um, including in Iowa. We have a lot of uh, financial service providers, and every one of those folks need cybersecurity professionals. So we partner with local um, educational institutions, with universities to really try and create an environment where we part of our goal is awareness. So when young professionals are thinking about what they might want to do with themselves, that we put this in there, this is an opportunity with significant um, opera, uh, with significant financial reward, if you will, because of the demand of this. So these are typically pretty high paying professions. Um, and then the other thing is to get out there and have an internship program. So we invite folks in to come in and have the experience. And so we try and craft our internship program to give them hands on experience so they can get a feel for what you might actually do. So we found that to be successful as well. Uh, it's not a field that's for everyone, but we find a lot of folks who are intrigued by it. They hear about it and to be able to get their hands on and really start to understand it has provided a lot of value. We see a lot of things happening in the Iowa university and education system as well, uh, where we have some good programs and we're very supportive of those. And I believe there's an opportunity for Iowa as a whole to work with the legislature and really get in front of this and create a stream of professionals entering the workforce that will help our state and the nation as a whole.
1: So we've talked a lot about cybersecurity. Is there anything else you would like our legislators to know about the Iowa technology industry?
3: i think i'd like them to know that we have a lot of what i call understated providers in this state so we have a lot of folks on the 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 organizations on the coast Uh, they are startups they have a lot of splash they have a lot of marketing Uh, i believe that iowa has a tremendous number of technology companies that are very stable providers that have been around for a long time and actually have a tremendous amount of acumen in cybersecurity and innovation in a number of these areas. So uh, when Senator Nunn started to talk about a partnership and really getting this public-private partnership together to figure out how to bring Iowa to the forefront, I think there's a tremendous amount of potential to be unlocked there. It's happening every day in our fine state. I really look forward to us opening that dialogue and figuring out how to unlock
1: that. Fantastic. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us on the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast.
0: Thank you, Molly. Happy to be here. That wraps up this episode of the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. At TAI, we believe every Iowa company is a technology company. Join us over at technologyiowa.org to help build and unite iowa's technology industry if you like this podcast please share it with a friend or colleague thank you to shazam davis brown law firm and google for making this podcast a reality thanks for listening